study today is from Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, Cyrus, mine, my anointed. It's only going to be a few verses out of 44. We covered uh, the, the beginning portions of 44 a different week. Uh, this is another one of those places where if they would have asked me, I would have divided the chapter a little differently, and I think we'll see here why in, in just a minute. All right, so starting in chapter 44, verse 24, towards the end of the chapter. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, he who formed you from the womb. And those words are very comforting words. Our God knows us. He's our Redeemer. He formed us in our mother's womb. Uh, and, and so right from the very start, right from birth, uh, or even before birth, in the mother's womb, God knows us, and he forms us, and he makes us, and he creates us, and he cares for us. This is a beautiful text, very comforting text. God knows us, he knows all about us, he knows our beginning, and he was there in the process of forming us from the very beginning. You know, we, we, we think about God working on us now, and we're growing in the Lord now, and uh, he's not done with us yet, but he began forming us in our mother's womb. And that's beautiful, God being there. What a tender God. Again, we've seen this throughout Isaiah. Very personal God that we have. But this text in context, as we'll see, is, is, while it applies, no doubt, to all of us, he's got someone specific in mind that he is referring to. And so let's continue on. Still with verse 24. I am the Lord who makes all things. I stretch out the heavens all alone. I spread abroad the earth by myself. I frustrate the signs of the babblers, drive diviners mad, I turn wise men backward and make their knowledge foolish. So he's over it all. And he's the maker of it all. He's in charge. And the verse 26, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, to the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Now this is very interesting, as we'll see, uh, very prophetic. Now of course, when Isaiah is writing this, Jerusalem is inhabited. Jerusalem is built up. And so just in the statement here that he's saying that it will be inhabited and that it will build, be built up, he's prophesying that a time is coming when it will be broken down and it will not be inhabited. So that's prophetic in itself right there. So he's prophesying its downfall, and then he's prophesying its rebuilding. And he's also prophesying that the deep will be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Put that in the back of your head for a moment, and we'll come back to that prophecy uh, in a little bit. Verse 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built into the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And so he's talking about a specific person being formed in the womb, this man named Cyrus. And he's predicting that of Cyrus, and that regarding Cyrus, that he's going to use him to build up Jerusalem and the temple and its foundations, and this drying up of these rivers, of the river. Um, and calling him, forming him from the beginning and womb for a specific purpose. And he wants Cyrus to know, I am the maker, I am the creator, I am over it all, and I'm over all the babblers as well. 
So a specific person, Cyrus. Now Cyrus' name comes up here in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. And then we go to the next chapter, chapter 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. So I don't know why the dividers again decided to cut Cyrus in half. <laughs> you know, they got Cyrus listed in the last verse of chapter 44, and then the first verse of chapter 45. Uh, and so that's why I, I, I think it should have been put back a few uh, verses to where it starts talking about Cyrus being formed in the womb and, and the prophecies regarding Cyrus, and then continuing throughout chapter 45 about Cyrus and what he's going to do. That's very interesting. He called Cyrus my shepherd. And he calls Cyrus my anointed. What's the word for anointed? What's the Hebrew word for anointed? Messiah, right? The English, Moshiach, right? My Moshiach to his Moshiach and his shepherd. Right? These are terms for the Messiah. His servant, it also said. Right? His shepherd, his servant, his anointed one. Calling that regarding Cyrus. So very interesting. And he's naming this person by name Cyrus. And he's hold his hand, whose right hand I have held. I formed you from the womb, and I'm holding your hand, Cyrus, and I'm walking you through. Now again, we've already seen that the prophecy regarding Jerusalem being inhabited would be in the future, because it's inhabited when, uh, when Isaiah is writing. Continuing in this verse, verse 1 still, chapter 45 of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've held, to subdue nations before him, to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, and, and to do that, the gates will not be shut. So, got some specific things here. Gates not being shut, doors being left open, him loosing the armor of kings, and subduing nations before him. That's God's calling for this man Cyrus. He's created him from the womb. He's holding him by the hand. And he's called him his anointed, his Messiah, and his shepherd, and his servant. Verse 2, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. So God calls him by name and then specifically says, I am calling you by name. Take note of that. And I'm calling you for a purpose because I want you to know that I am God. There's no one above me. I am the maker of it all. This man named Cyrus was named by Isaiah 150 years before he was born. That is amazing. Mentions him by name twice and says some specific things about him, and we're going to see those very things happened in the life of a man named Cyrus. So specific that it could not apply to anyone else. Especially name him by name. So Isaiah's prophesying, Isaiah's living, Jerusalem is inhabited, Jerusalem is built. Sometime after Isaiah, about 80 years after Isaiah, Jerusalem gets attacked by Babylon, come through, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take us captive, 
Jerusalem basically uninhabited. Seventy years go by, and so Isaiah is prophesying 150 years into the future that a man named Cyrus is going to come and cause Jerusalem to be inhabited again and to be built again. And sure enough, just as God said, so it was. So to get the history of that, we need to go back to Babylon. Here is a picture of the Ishtar Gates, the actual Ishtar Gates. There's Barbara uh, standing in front of it, and so it gives you an idea of the height of that gate. Now, Barbara's not very tall, as you know, but nonetheless, that gate is still very high. 50 feet high, yeah. Right, at least 50 feet high, the entrance to that gate. And this is massive. Uh, it goes way to the right and way to the left of this picture. And, and those, those uh, animals there, they, they come out three-dimensional off the wall. I mean, the tiles are beautifully painted and still have the colors on them. Absolutely amazing. This was the gate, Ishtar Gate, going into Babylon. That when they would conquer nations, they would bring them through this gate. No, right now it's in dwarves. But it was exposed to the weather for, for many years. Uh, this is in Berlin. They, they took it uh, and shipped it off to, to Germany and rebuilt it there. Um, quite amazing. Yeah, it's inside today in this museum. Um, so going back to the time of Babylon, uh, again, Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem and took it captive. His son then takes over and then his grandson. And his grandson has a wild party, feasting party. It's mentioned in the book of Daniel. And as he's partying along with his, with his uh, people, uh, he calls for the treasures of Jerusalem to be brought forward. The cups that were used in the temple services to be brought forward and to drink from them. And so now they are defying God and the items of God's temple. And as they're doing that very thing, a hand comes and begins to write on the wall. The Bible says that the loins of the king of Babylon sees this, and he gets so scared that his loins are loosed. Just as Isaiah said, I will cause the loins of kings to be loosed. And that's exactly what the book of Daniel says happened to this king. Loins are loosed. He's so terrified. Knees are knocking. He's pooping in his pants. I mean, he's scared. He sees his hand come, and no one can read it. And they call for Daniel. Of course, Daniel wasn't at the party. Should have been. He was a high official, but he wouldn't show up to the party. It's not his activity. And so they have to call him and beg him to come, because the queen mother says he can interpret it, no one else can, but try, try Daniel. Daniel comes and he reads it to the king. Many God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Well, Cyrus happened to be the commander of the Persians. And he had encircled Babylon and laid siege to Babylon. You say, well, with laying siege, what on earth are the Babylonians doing inside partying, and drinking, and feasting? They had so much food inside. The river Euphrates went right through the center of it, and it goes through a gate, 
through the center, so they had plenty of water, and then out the other end. And so they had water, and they had the hanging gardens of Babylon, and so they had plenty of food inside, and they can keep that going for a long time, while the others outside in the desert, uh, you know, soldiers out there would get tired long before they did. So they weren't afraid. So they're feasting, they're partying inside. Well, Cyrus had gone upstream of the Euphrates River, and he had his men uh, dig a big lake, or a, a big ditch, and diverted the water. That very night, they put in the, the uh, dikes to divert the water into the, the open area that they, they dug, and diverted the water, and thus the river going through Babylon dried up just as Isaiah predicted 150 years before. So then Cyrus's army goes marching in on the riverbed. They get to the gates, and they weren't locked. Strangely. And they just open the gates, and they march in, and they go and take the city in one night. This is Cyrus Cylinder. This is in England, the museum in England. Uh, cylinder, and it uh, has a recording of Cyrus and his kingdom, and, uh, and a little bit of this conquest of Babylon. This is some of the words it says. Yes, it's, it's, yes right. It's a clay tablet, clay tablet, not very big, and uh, they would write on it. Right? Instead of having paper. They got the record. That's right. So it's a record and they kept the record. And it, yes, it's scribed into it. Right? And so there's uh, letters, words written into it. And this is some of what it says. Seeking for the upright king of his choice, he took the hand of Cyrus. Very words that Isaiah uses. I have held your hand, your right hand. He took the hand of Cyrus and called him by his name. Also, right out of the book of Isaiah. Proclaiming him aloud for the king for over everything, Marduk. Instead of claiming God, the God of Isaiah, the God of Daniel, he writes about Marduk. Marduk was upset because uh, the Babylonians weren't giving him proper honor. And so God called, or Marduk called Cyrus to come and help. Marduk had him enter without fighting. He saved his city Babylon from hardship. He handed over to him uh, Nabonidus the king. And so without, a, without having to fight, they, again, just as uh, historians tell us, they marched in under the riverbed, and people inside were drunk. The king is drunk, uh, and his, his captains and all his uh, high officials are all drunk at the party. And uh, Cyrus and his army just march right in and take the city without a fight. Just as it says in Cyrus's cylinder. And just as the Bible predicted. And just as Daniel in the handwriting on the wall, God said, this night your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So let's look at some of those texts again out of Isaiah chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. And there's parallels here. 
this Euphrates River, Babylon, Revelation, it talks about some of these things. It mentions Babylon, it mentions the Euphrates River, it mentions the Euphrates River drying up. It talks about God's anointed. So Cyrus plays the role of the Messiah, foreshadowing the Messiah. And so what God did through Cyrus, literally, Revelation talks about in prophetic and spiritual terms. There's no Babylon today, but Babylon representing confusion, representing uh, following false teachings and false gods. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. And so just as God used Cyrus, and Cyrus comes marching in and delivers the people and sets us free, so will the Messiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings. We just saw that happen. This is Isaiah 45, again written 150 years before Cyrus is even born. To open before him the two-leaved gates, the gates were left open, and the gates shall not be shut. In chapter 44, verse 27, that says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. That's again exactly what they did. They dried up the river. I mean, so specific, so many words, so many senses that are so specific to this man Cyrus. God did that, Cyrus did that, dried up the rivers, and they marched in, the gates left open. That said, verse 28, that says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. Well, after Cyrus takes over Babylon and takes over the kingdom of Babylon, which would include Israel, he decides to allow the Jewish people to go free and he writes a decree that allows us to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem. And it's recorded uh, in, uh, in the book of Nehemiah. And so D Isaiah prophesied this, and I would imagine that maybe Daniel, because then Daniel is taken by uh, Cyrus and, and made part of his uh, leaders, with his leaders, and Darius, and we read that in the book of Daniel, that maybe I have no doubt that Daniel showed Cyrus this very scroll of Isaiah and said, look, look at what God said about you 150 years before you were born. It's not Marduk, it's the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's not a statue, it's the living God who reigns above. And so Cyrus allows us to go back and begin the process of building Jerusalem, just as the Bible said Cyrus would. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Now, anyone can doubt the Bible with prophecies like this. And this is just one chapter. So much. So many prophecies. How can we doubt that God knows what he's talking about? Now, a portion we haven't read yet. Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. So it's the second time that he says that of him. I have named you. So the third time he's saying, I named you, I named you, I named you. Don't miss this, Cyrus. I knew you before there was a Marduk. I knew you. I have named you, though you have not known me. Again, a reference, it's not Marduk. I'm not Marduk. I'm not the God that you've known your life. I am the God of gods. 
I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you though you have not known me. We see the love of God poured out for this King Cyrus. From the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and I create calamity. I am the Lord. Do I, I the Lord do all these things. He is God. He is over it all. And so he's trying to get Cyrus's attention. Don't trust in Marduk, don't trust in anything else. I am the God. I knew you, I predicted this, I helped you through it. I knew that you were going to go through the river. I knew it was going to be dried. I knew the gates were going to be left open. And I knew you. And I formed you in your womb. Your mother's womb. Trying to get his, uh, Cyrus's attention. And God is trying to get our attention as well. He is the Lord. He is the one above it all. There is no other for us to depend on. There is no other for us to worship. There is no other for us to put our trust in but the Lord God, the Almighty One. The Messiah is coming again. The shepherd, the good shepherd, the anointed one, the Mashiach, God's servant. And he is coming. And he's going to dry up the confusion of this world and the sources that feed the confusion of this world He'll dry up the false doctrines and he'll prove them wrong. And he'll bust through and he's going to come without a fight. And he will set us free. And he will let his people go free. And he will build, and he is building, the new Jerusalem, the mansions that he is building for us. And he will take us there. And build an everlasting kingdom for us. Verse 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall the handiwork say, who has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? Here's a warning to Cyrus. Don't reject me. Don't resist me. Don't strive against me. I am your maker. I'm not just some clay pot. I made you. You didn't make me. And the warning for us as well also. Don't strive against God. Don't fight against God. Don't resist his word. His word is truth. His word is fact. His word comes to pass. And just as his prophecies come to pass, his promises come to pass as well, if we trust them and believe them. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth. I created man on it. I, my hands, stretch out the heavens, and all their hosts I have commanded. Does God believe in a seven-day creation? Did Isaiah believe in a seven-day creation? Yes. Again, if we don't, we not only have to change chapters 1 and 2 of the Bible, we've got to change whole passages of the Bible. I made the earth, I created man on it. God created us. He formed us. He holds our hands. He knows us from our mother's womb. He has made us. He stretched out the heavens. He is in charge of all the hosts. Verse 13, 
I have raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free. Not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. And that's what, exactly what Cyrus did. He let us go free. Let the exiles go free. He let us go back to Jerusalem. He let us go back to Israel. Directed us to build the city. Gave us the ability to do so. Even help finance it. Just as God said. He sets the exiles free. And not with a price. We didn't have to plea bargain with them. We didn't have to, uh, someone have to get us out or buy us out. He let us out without a reward without a price. He just signed the decree and let us go. Exactly. As Isaiah wrote, so it happened. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. God is amazing. And if he knew about Cyrus, and he had a plan for Cyrus, he called Cyrus to build up Jerusalem. He called Cyrus to set the people free. He knows us as well. He knows each one of us. He knew Cyrus's name. He knows your name. He knows us by name. He knows us from our mother's womb. And he holds our hand. He's got a calling for us and a plan for us. He will go before us. And he'll dry up the confusion. And he will set his people free. We will be free indeed. And he calls us to go and to build up Jerusalem, to build up God's kingdom. To build up his everlasting kingdom. To build up his people. And to set the captives free. Not for a price. Not for some reward. But to go forth and to do it freely for God. By God's grace. By God's power. To go forth. Ministering to others. Sharing about a God who knows them. Sharing about a God who cares about them. Sharing about a God who wants to hold their hand. Sharing about a God who made them and molded them and created them. What a beautiful God. A God of love. A God who also warned Cyrus and then us as well. Don't reject the maker. Don't question my plans. Don't resist. I am the Lord. There is none other. Trust him and walk in his way. We have a God who loves us with an everlasting love. God who's given us his word, and his word is sure, and his word is true. If you've had any doubt in God's word, had any doubt about the surety of God's word, and your heart and your mind has been strengthened tonight in seeing the verity of God's word, the truthfulness of God's word, the amazing power of God's word, predict 150 years in advance, a man by name, and describe all these different things about him, that what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, and all of them taking place, just as God said. Your faith has been strengthened. And if your belief in the Bible has been strengthened by this chapter, if you haven't been reading God's Word, you see tonight there's power in God's Word. God knows the end from the beginning. If God knew about Cyrus, he knows about me, there's something in the Bible for me as well. You're encouraged tonight to read your Bible. If you haven't been, you're encouraged now to read it. Maybe you've never run it before. In a few minutes we'll pray. 
Ask God to give you spiritual discernment when you read His Word. You've been doubting God's Word or just neglecting God's Word, and, and your faith in God's Word is now renewed. The moment when we pray, ask God to give you the ability to follow through on that commitment, to read His Word on a daily basis, to absorb it, to take it in, to believe His prophecies, and not only His prophecies, but His promises. Take Him at His Word and believe His Word. You've been discouraged, maybe think that no one cares about you and no one loves you and you see God loves you and wants to hold you by the hand. It was a lady, she went and listened to a, a, a lecture by a man named Zig Ziglar, motivational speaker, and he was telling about how we are wonderfully created and wonderfully made and how God loves us and God has a calling for us. And she went up to him afterwards and said, I just came back, I bought the ticket for this seminar and uh, just past weeks I've been on a, a rafting trip out in the wilderness and we went and we we saw these beautiful things, these high mountains and these majestic animals and these huge trees and, 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 and the sun and the moon and the stars. And I looked at all of this and I thought, wow, it's a wonderful planet. It's a wonderful universe, this expanse of these giant, majestic things. And then I began to think of myself and then I'm really nothing. Nothing compared to this tree that's been around hundreds of years. Nothing compared to these rocks and these mountains that have been around since the beginning of Earth. The sky and the stars out there. They're light beaming light years away. I'm nothing. I'm a little nothing. I began to contemplate suicide, thinking of my nothingness. And then I came here, and I heard you tonight say that God loves me. That God knows me. That God has a calling for me and a purpose for me. That God has a plan for me and that he's known me from my mother's womb. And I now have hope. And I now have purpose. You have purpose tonight. When we pray in a moment, dedicate your life to God and allow him to fulfill that purpose in your life. Because God does have a purpose for you. God does have a plan for you. And you're more important to him than the trees. You're more important to him than the rivers. You're more important to him than all the animals. You're more important to him than the, the rocks and the mountains. You're more important to him than the skies and the universe and the stars and the moon and the sun. You're precious in his sight. He's got a calling for you. Set his people free. If you feel a calling to go, an anointing from God, a calling from God. To be a shepherd, to shepherd his sheep, to build up Jerusalem, to build up God's kingdom, to build up the new Jerusalem with more people that will be inhabited, to set the people free from the confusions of this world, to set the people free from Babylon, from the false doctrines and the false teachings and the confusion of this world. When we pray, ask God to use you and have his anointing upon you, his power upon you. Any of those areas apply to you or anything else that God's been speaking to your heart about? As we pray, let's commune with him. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the amazing power of your word. We're thankful for the testimony that you do see the end from the beginning, that you've given us evidence. You haven't just said, I know it all. You've given us evidence that you know it all. If you knew Cyrus, you knew you know us as well. Thank you for knowing us. You had a plan for Cyrus, 
you have a plan for us as well. Lord, fulfill that in us and through us. Give us a desire to read your word, to search your word, to be filled with your word, and to find your promises and to apply them to our lives. In Yeshua's holy name.